0: About 20 years ago I was in Kenya. I was at a retreat center just on the outskirts of Nairobi uh, with a group of folks from all around the Anglican Communion. In fact we were such a large group that we couldn't all quite fit into the retreat center and so three of us were staying in cabins that were at the bottom of the valley. It was about a mile walk along a dirt road down to the bottom of the valley each evening and a mile walk back up each morning. Good exercise, nice views. One of the peculiar things about the retreat center was that there was a wall, quite a high wall, all around the compound, and at the entrance there was a guard station with a watchman, which seemed very odd, you know, it's just a place where people would go and pray and be quiet. Why would you need to guard a place like that? Well after we'd been there for a couple of days we found out one night uh, some armed men broke into the compound. They chased the guard around the gardens with machetes and tried to break into the rooms. They were trying to steal from people. Those of us who were down in the cabins knew nothing about this. We arrived up the next morning to find the whole place in consternation. Did you hear about what happened last night? Uh, All the alarm that was taking place. We thought that we'd had a lucky escape because we were staying down in the valley a couple of nights after that at the end of all the activities of the day the three of us were walking down the dirt track we got about three quarters of the way down it's pitch black and then suddenly we heard a rustling noise and three armed men stepped out into the road in front of us we didn't know what to do we tried to speak to them but they wouldn't respond to us We were too far down the road to be able to turn back, and so one of our group, I thought quite bravely, courageously, foolishly, I don't know, said, maybe we should just keep walking on and see what they do. Well, it seemed uh, about the best of a whole lot of bad options, and so we stepped forward, and as we did so, they moved apart, let us pass through, and then fell in behind us and followed us all the way down to the cabins. We went into our three cabins, one, two, three, closed the door, and it dawned on me that I was in Africa thousands of miles from home in a small cabin at the bottom of a valley in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night in the dark alone with armed men stood outside the cabin I was staying in it was one of the most frightening experiences of my life what do you do at a time like that well I prayed not because I'm some great spiritual giant but I imagine that's the response that a lot of us would have had I prayed for my part I prayed Compline. It's an old service of the church that for centuries people used at the ending of each day, the same psalms, the same readings, and the same prayers every single time. You would simply learn them by heart after a while. It has a way of finishing off the day, of completing it, but also it can be very settling, very reassuring because it becomes so familiar. The first of the psalms in Compline is Psalm 4 which is traditionally sung along with the other psalms of the service. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You set me at liberty when I was in trouble. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. It was the perfect prayer for that night. Whatever the psalmist was facing, it was not dissimilar to what I was going through that evening. He was surrounded by enemies, by adversaries, or maybe just by troubles and tragedies and problems that to him seemed as real and tangible as human enemies. And so he personified them. It doesn't really matter. Life was going wrong. Life was becoming difficult. He was in great distress. And he remembered that in the past he had called out to God for help, in fact, had found deliverance from God. And so once again he calls out, Answer me when I call, O oh God. You helped me before when I was in distress. Now again, hear my prayer. It's the most basic prayer that anyone can ever offer. Oh God, help me. There's a wonderful chapter in a book. Uh, by an ancient writer called John Cassian, who wrote about 1,500 years ago, uh, and he wrote about uh, the uh, growing in the life of prayer. And he says, here's the foundation that you should lay. Here is the most fundamental prayer, the most basic prayer, the prayer that you can use in any circumstances, the prayer that you can build all the rest of your life of prayer on, because it is a prayer of dependence, it is a prayer of trust, it is a prayer that acknowledges God's power and sovereignty over your life. Here it is, he says, O oh God, Help me. Such a simple, simple prayer, and yet so effective. Oh, God, help. He says, are you beginning some new venture? Oh, God, help me. Are you in difficulty or distress? Oh, God, help me. Do you feel as though life's circumstances are washing over you and you're drowning? Oh, God, help me. Are you seeking to bring some venture to a successful close? Oh, God, help me the most basic and fundamental of prayers, and that's where Psalm 4 begins. But it's interesting to see how the psalmist carries on in the next few verses. Take a look at verses 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. He, he's begun by praying to God, but then he turns to face his troubles, whether it's these enemies and adversaries or whether it's simply the tragedies of life. But he turns to them and he begins to address them. And look at the question that he asks. How long are you going to keep doing this? How long are you going to keep pursuing something that is so empty? Your triumph over me that you long for. How long are you going to keep seeking after lies? Do you not understand that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself? The Lord hears when I call to him. It's quite a remarkable moment. He's found himself drowning and underwater. He's found himself overwhelmed by his distress. He calls out to God, oh God, help me. And that simple act of calling out to God has given him the confidence and the courage to look his troubles in the eyes and to say, do you not understand that God is with those who trust him? Nothing has changed in his circumstances, not that we know of. There's been no miracle between verse 1 and verse 2. The troubles are all still there. But now he has the confidence to look at them and to say, God is with me, and I can stand and face you. Reminds me of the story in Second Kings chapter 6. You might want to go and look it up after the service. It's a story about Elisha, who has been giving information to the king of Israel about the movements of the armies of one of his enemies. The enemies find out and assume that Elisha is a spy. They don't know he's getting the knowledge from the Lord. And so they send uh, troops from the army to go and capture him. They surround the hill on which Elisha is living. And Elisha's servant goes out in the morning and sees them. He's terrified. Oh, master, what are we going to do? Elisha says, do you not understand that those who are with us are greater than those who are against us? And he prays, Lord, open his eyes. And immediately the servant sees them surrounded by a vastly greater army, the angelic host, chariots of fire, we're told. Now, what's interesting is that this angelic host doesn't attack. There's not a great divine battle to deliver Elisha. In fact, God brings about a miraculous deliverance that is far more surprising and far more filled with grace and mercy than any battle would be. But I'm going to leave you to read 2 Kings 6 and find that out for yourself. The point is that knowing that God is with him is what gives Elisha that confidence to face his difficulties. And so in the final verses of the psalm, the psalmist turns back to God in prayer again. One of the interesting things, though, if you take a look at verses 6 and 7 and 8, is the way that he addresses his prayer to the Lord. In most of the psalms, God is either addressed as God, the Hebrew word is El, and as with our word God, it can be addressed to any God. We talk about the Greek gods and the Roman gods. It's more of a title than a name. But where in your Bible you see the word Lord written in little capital letters as you do in this psalm, it's an indication that what we have here is God's personal divine name that was revealed to Moses in front of the burning bush. It's a name that became so sacred that Jews would not pronounce it. And in our Bibles we respect that by writing the word Lord instead. It's a very personal name. It's an intimate name. You see, Christians can talk about gods, Greek gods and Roman gods. There can be any number of gods that we can think about and and theorize about, but when we talk about Jesus, we know exactly who we're talking about. It's that same thing, that sense of a personal name. It implies a relationship and it implies intimacy. So when the psalmist turns back to God, he's speaking very intimately to God. And look at what he says. There are those who are saying, oh, that we might see some good. Well, that's exactly what the psalmist was asking for at the beginning. Help me. He says, but you, Lord, have put gladness in my heart that is greater than theirs when all their grain and wine abound, when life is as good as it can be. And so I will lie down and sleep in peace because you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. That night in Kenya, that was exactly what I did. It surprised me as much as it might surprise you to hear it. I prayed those words and I lay my head down and I slept. Nothing had changed. I felt that I was in as much danger as I had been when I began praying. But I had such a powerful sense that God was with me and that that was enough. Spoiler alert, as it turned out, I didn't die nor did anybody else. In fact, it turned out that the men that we'd met were locals who'd heard about the break-in and were keeping an eye on us as guests. They didn't speak English, which is why they hadn't spoken to us. We didn't know that until the next morning. But it was that peace that I remember from that night. The way that prayer had gone from oh God help to being able to look at the troubles which I was facing and saying and yet God is with me until finally I could turn back to God and say I have found something in you that I did not expect to find. And now I know that I can dwell in peace and in rest and in safety. There are a lot of us looking for that at the moment. In the midst of this pandemic, a lot of us are feeling the sense of being surrounded by something overwhelming, something greater than us, something that threatens to, to drown us. And then, of course, there's all the usual tragedy and difficulty of life that many of us are experiencing. People are still getting ill, still losing jobs, still being bereaved. Life is hard. And right now, for many of us, life is hard. What do you do when life is so difficult? The invitation of the psalmist is pray. Not just pray hoping for some miraculous deliverance, although that can happen. But pray because bringing your troubles into the presence of God is so transformative that even when those difficulties don't go away, we know that finding ourselves in the presence of the one who says, as Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always to the end of the age is enough to help us to lie down in peace because in him we dwell in safety.